Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Heather Brown, the president and co-founder of Startup Vegas. Startup Vegas is a grassroots community organization dedicated to supporting founders and growing the startup community in Las Vegas. We have a really engaging conversation. I know you'll find Heather to be witty and funny and smart. We cover a lot of topics, you know, the past, present, and future of the Las Vegas startup community, kind of what went wrong, what's needed, a lot about what's going on in the ground and how to get involved down in Vegas, the importance of entrepreneurs in the political process, and much, much more. So I hope you enjoy this fun and engaging conversation with Heather. So now on with the podcast. Welcome, Heather, to the Growth Pioneers podcast. So nice to see you again. It is always wonderful to get the opportunity to chat. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I've It's been about, I don't know, maybe about six or eight months since we first met in person at that uh, coffee shop in some part of Vegas. I'm not that familiar with the town, but it's just so nice to meet you and Peter and get to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and just excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, I mean, I think that meeting and then meeting your two colleagues before that has just really been uh, major milestones in, in our growth of Startup Vegas here in the South. And so we're very appreciative of your friendship and also your support from your professional side as well. So, Well, entrepreneurs and founders have to stand together. So, uh, And I guess that means entrepreneurial support organization founders have to stand together too. So it seems natural. Hey, before we jump into Startup Vegas, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background? How did you get to be president and co-founder of Startup Vegas? Yeah, I would love to. You know, I look at my my story and my upbringing as major building blocks to who I am today. So I'd be happy to kind of tell you a little bit of how I got here. So, you know, I'm a native to Las Vegas. I am the oldest of four. I have no sisters. And so my dad was in the Air Force. And so we grew up in the military. We were constantly moving from one state to the next changing schools. And eventually you just kind of learn to be the new kid and to make friends fast. So when my dad decided to retire, I was actually super excited because I thought that meant we were done zigzagging across the United States. But little did I know that my dad had actually taken a job in Saudi Arabia and he was moving us abroad. So the nearly three years I spent in kingdom was truly life-changing, terrifying at first, but opened my eyes to the opportunities I was given. And I really embraced this experience. And for the first time I had flown abroad, you know, I was immersed in a new culture. I got to see a small portion of the world. And in the eighth grade, I had my career path all planned out. I knew I was going to be a diplomat. Wow. It's funny actually to say those words out loud because spoiler alert, I am not a diplomat. (laughs) (laughs) But I can actually draw a line to where I am now, to who I wanted to be way back then. I'm really excited. Just got to ask, I mean, living in Saudi Arabia must have been a just a radically different experience. And it's so I always, you know, I wonder if you knew then how transformative it would be in your life today. In the moment, I didn't. But when I immediately moved back to America, I realized it pretty quickly because I was talking about global issues. I cared about global issues. I cared about things beyond, you know, and we moved back to Vegas. So I cared about things beyond, you know, just our small ecosystem here of hospitality and tourism. And, 
you know, I'd seen the world, I'd traveled and I didn't have any relatable experiences that I could share with people. And it made me different, I think in a good way, even in just in high school. So I, I cherished those times. It was, it was almost three years, informative years too, seventh, eighth and ninth grade. Yeah, those are foundational. I remember everything and I'm just so blessed that my parents took, I mean, it was their first time living overseas as well. And so I'm really blessed that they took that opportunity and and moved us over there. Yeah, that's great. So you're, so you're back from Saudi, you're back, you're here, you've got this diplomat on your mind. Then what'd you do? So I graduate high school, right? And I, I go to UNLV and Unfortunately, that's when I found out that you couldn't actually take the diplomatic test until you were 21. So what is an 18-year-old with a lot of ambition who's going to be an ambassador one day, you know, diplomat for now, ambassador one day, what are they going to do? And I think that's when I really found my passion for community organizing. You know, I was super active on campus, student government. I volunteered for every program. I volunteered for political parties. And then I eventually started working for candidates. And after graduation, I found myself looking for a new opportunity. I graduated UNLV in 2008, which is arguably one of the toughest times to leave university. (laughs) You know, the job market was scarce. I didn't have a lot of options. But I, I moved. I moved to DC, and you know that was the best decision I made. I, I ended up getting even further involved in campaigns. I worked for dozens of candidates, numerous ballot initiatives, and I even became a chief of staff for the, a national youth organization. I found a path in the middle of an economic crisis. <laughs> I started my own business, uh, consulting for candidates and political parties. And that's when I really leaned in on my childhood experience of, you know, the international community. And I actually looked for clients abroad and I was successful. I've worked on four continents. I was traveling all over the world and learning so much about different cultures and political climates. I actually moved to Brussels for two years to work on a European parliament campaign, running a continent-wide outreach and training program. Wow. I didn't know that. So you you have political experience that transcends the U.S. political system. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And it's not a one-stop shop, right? Where, yes, you have different states here and and little political approaches are going to be different, but you have entirely governmental, you know, first of all, multi-party system. There's laws put in place that some of the tactics we use in the United States are just purely illegal. And so it's, I learned that I had to almost be a chameleon and get to know them so well that I understood their frustrations and then I gave them kind of best practices. But honestly, I think I was able to implement some of these strategies when I was told like, oh, that would never work because that's not how things are done here. But it's because I could connect with the community organizers. I mean, I was one after all. And I was also still that like new kid in every room at heart who had to make friends and connect with people quickly. And it ended up being very invaluable because I I had so many wonderful opportunities and amazing experiences. And Brussels was just so eye-opening, working in all those different countries. Eventually, uh, your visa expires, and that means your Schengen days are over. And so I had to to come back to the United States. (laughs) 
<sighs> pesky laws. You know, I, I look back on that time and I'm so glad that I took the leap because much like my parents almost 20 years prior, you know, they didn't, I'd never moved overseas by myself, but I'm glad I did because I learned a lot and I made a lot of great friends and, and I, the, the knowledge I learned from all those different cultures and communities is just helping me every day in my, in my life now. Now, did you come back from overseas and straight back to, to Vegas or did you have another stop over in DC or you, you? So I was still, I was still in DC. I, you know, I had just bought a house there and I actually got a really amazing opportunity to work for former vice president Al Gore's nonprofit, the climate reality project. I was hired as their civic engagement director. You know, I was looking forward to 2020. It was going to be my year. I was super excited about the potential and plans we had. But as we all know, 2020 wasn't really anyone's year and we all had to pivot. So when I look back on the work we did, I'm so proud of that election cycle. We, we were in the middle of a pandemic. We had to change how we organized, how we communicated, how our, our messaging in total, we had to completely revamp it, but you had to understand how people were feeling and what they needed in the moment and also with end goals in mind and how did we get there. And so we had to realign our messaging and our tactics. And so did you, I mean, one of the things I'm, that's coming through loud and clear is it really resonates with me. My, you know, my dad was married six times, so I got to be very adaptable, right? So one of the things I heard is, you know, chameleon adaptability. What an, I mean, what a powerful foundational skill to have to be adaptable to, you know, the, the world is, I mean, you can definitely guarantee that it's always going to be changing. So this changes, you end up back in Vegas. How did you get involved in the startup community? I mean, you know, you have, it sounds like you have an entrepreneurial background, you started your company, but like what really drew you to the entrepreneurial community that, and then I'm curious about what you saw in Vegas that was different. So, you know, I think the pandemic obviously a lot of negative, bad connotations to it. But on a personal level, you know, I finally had the opportunity to admit to myself that I was burnt out. I was always on the go. I had to, and I just took time to re-examine my life, my career, my future. And I wanted to find something different. And there was something in me that kept pulling me back to Vegas. You know, I, I, I wanted to be more invested in my hometown. I wanted to feel a connection with a place that had given me so much as a kid. So like I said, I, we were a military family, lived all over the place, but I spent every summer living at my grandparents' house in Las Vegas. So even though I've lived in 14 states and a couple countries at this point, Vegas still was always my home. And so I wanted to come back and I started actually, I actually joined a startup with my college friend, Peter Tomasic. It was my first time in the startup space. Yes, I had been an entrepreneur. Yes, I had started my own company, but I was learning the ins and outs of a startup life cycle and how to build a company culture that was sustainable. And so I really looked for and, and tried to lean on any type of community to kind of give me just a sense that I was doing something right, or I could check in with them because I had had that in my political life. And Peter and I sat and, and chatted about it and, and it just didn't exist in 2021. 
So if anybody knows anything about the history of the Vegas tech startup ecosystem, there was an attempt to grow it about 10 years prior. It kind of fizzled out. And for about a decade, it had been stagnant. And that's when Peter and I decided that we wanted to organize events that help founders throughout their startup journey. We really wanted to harness the shared entrepreneurial excitement, energy, and encouragement to provide value to the startup community in Southern Nevada. We knew training, workshops, mentorship, collaboration opportunities, and networking programming were all needed. And it has been about 18 months since we sat out on this journey. And honestly, the support, engagement, and growth has just felt like lightning in a bottle. And we're so proud of this community we're building. And we're so excited to expand our reach as the momentum grows. I know you asked me, what did we see in Vegas? You know, I'm a, I'm a political person. So I actually looked at the economic development reports from the governor's office and Clark County. And I read in there because, you know, I wanted to do my research. I wanted to see what was I getting into. And I saw it in black and white. For two decades now, the state and county had listed investing in entrepreneurship and investing in startups was a major pillar that Nevada needed to lean in and build if we were going to properly diversify our economy. Now, I told you I graduated in an economic downturn and I came back to Vegas in a pandemic. So some might say I'm glutton for punishment, but also I realize that there are opportunities that can come from this. And I think there's no better example than Vegas, one of the hardest hit cities because of the pandemic and a startup ecosystem, which has traditionally flourished after a huge economic, you know, the dot-com boom, the 2009 financial crisis. And now we're seeing it with this pandemic. So I think it was an opportunity to personally find growth, but also to capitalize on a thirsty community that needed somebody to just organize it. And we've, we took up the reins and we're doing it. Which I got to say, I'm just so excited. And I think you're totally the right person for, for this. You know, when you were talking about, you know, I started Edon over 10 years ago now, which is shocking to me. It goes by really quickly. And so I do remember those early days with Tony Shea and all the downtown project. And, you know, I remember in those times actually kind of feeling a little bit like, we're way behind, like maybe our approach is wrong or, you know, you know, just comparing North and South, like where's Reno versus Vegas. But, you know, when we went down there enough, it became kind of obvious because we started to go to other communities that, I mean, we didn't know, but it felt like it was more of a top-down approach. And what we were seeing in other communities was more of a grassroots organic approach. And I think, you know, what history has showed was, at least in the case of Downtown Project, which has been, you know, obviously still had big benefits in Vegas. But from an ecosystem perspective, whenever, you know, the person at the top moves on or things, then you, you kind of lose that, you lose all that other support. And, and you know, the, a more organic grassroots, maybe it's a little bit slower, but it has more resiliency. And, you know, I, I have to say that for the, you know, for the nearly nine years that I've been doing entrepreneurial work in Northern Nevada, we've always kind of wondered when Vegas was going to come around, right? 
And I'm just so excited that, you know, I think you really have tapped into a moment in time. Like there's such potential. And, you know, I guess while I'm monologuing here, one of the things that we learned from our time was it was post the Great Recession, 15.5% unemployment, anything was possible. It was, you know, it could have, you know, Reno could have fallen off the map, but what it really did was create a really unique moment in time where anything is possible. And it does feel like, you know, conditions are different on the ground, very different place Vegas is to Reno, but but there is a moment and a time and an opportunity and you've, you've tapped into that groundswell. And I've never seen more support, at least at the government level and probably from the people on the ground than I've seen before in Vegas. So it does feel like, there's a there's a this is a moment in time that really just hasn't existed in the past seven or eight years. So I think your timing may be uh, spot on. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And also, you know, to to still touch to touch back on a little bit of what the Vegas Tech Venture Vegas Tech Fund was doing. Yeah, it was top down, and I think it was an experiment. But to your point, when the head of the top down structure no longer wants to invest in that community, you have to look and say, what community? Because it really was a click and not a community. It was, you know, there was grassroots efforts that were happening before this and they just got swallowed up by this bigger machine. Now it's easy for us to say, oh, well, we're not coming in with money forward. We're coming in with grassroots forward because we don't have millions of dollars to come in money forward. But I also think looking to your example in the North and several other startup communities around the country, I think there's no other way to do it than to engage founders where they are in their journey giving them tools and resources and making them an equal part of this, of this ecosystem. Yes, you have programmatic things that happen from Startup Vegas and our partners, but without these amazing founders building companies to hire new people to attract additional dollars, the, the ecosystem would be unbalanced. And so, you know, we recognize that. And I think that's hopefully where and why we'll be successful is because we are spending the time to come to the founders and build them up as individuals. And hopefully the opportunities that we're providing and the atmosphere and the feelings that are happening will just collide into something really beautiful as we continue to build for the next couple of years. Yeah. What you're saying is really resonating with me. I mean, I think you really, you know, the startup communities and the rainforest came out about 10 years ago, but you just, you really tapped into one of the key pillars that Brad recognized in Boulder, which is, you know, founders have to lead. So the more that you can bolster the founders and, you know, really make it about them and everybody else is supporting them. It's just a, it's like a, it's table sticks. It's a critical ingredient of that. And, and, you know, it, it is hard work to build culture, right? And I think that is one of the other things that I, that I've learned is, you have to build a culture of entrepreneurship and it takes time. And I don't think there's a lot of shortcuts to that. And it just, you know, you've just got to put in the effort and get a lot of people rowing generally in the same direction, which just, you know, it it takes a lot longer. Now, fortunately, the world has sort of seen this importance of this over the past five to six years. And so you're not alone. There's more resources and models and there's been a lot of experiments 
But nevertheless, you still have to translate that into the culture of Las Vegas. And that's that's not a small feat, right? I mean, Vegas has a pretty defined culture, you know, and um, that's always been like, I think, you know, one of the things that made us successful in Reno is the Great Recession pretty much broke gaming. Not, I mean, obviously, there's still gaming here, but it broke the political structure. It broke. It basically broke gaming as a path forward, as a viable path forward. And, and so that created a vacuum. So what was, you know, what new will emerge? And so we got to rewrite that story. You know, Vegas is a little bit different, right? I mean, gaming is still the predominant engine. It's the primary tax base for the state. And it does seem, this is my outside view looking in, it does feel like during a recession, everybody's like, we got to diversify, we got to diversify. And as soon as revenues go back, everybody's like, let's kick the party back off. And so it's, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that it's not doable. It's just interesting, different, different things on the ground. And so I think it, it really takes you in Vegas that can really understand how to navigate that to create a groundswell that can live and adapt the culture inside the community. And so I'm just, I'm, I know this is a bit I'm long lead up, but I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you look at that? I mean, what are your thoughts on how can you build the cultural entrepreneurship and how does that either coexist or support or work with or not with the existing power structure? That's a great question. It's something that we identified early on because uh, we had hoped that gaming would embrace us and, you know, there's hotel tech, there's gaming tech, there's all these things that can be folded into this thriving economic portion of who we are as, a, as Southern Nevada. But I also think we have a lot of examples here in Southern Nevada of those exact types of startups that wanted to work with the casinos and they were flat out rejected. Even people who came from the casino industry created startups knew that their product would make their old job 10 times better and they were still just rejected. And so, you know, that was that was a decade ago. I think we're seeing a little bit different because people know that we're most likely going to hit a recession in the coming I don't know, months, years, right? It's it's coming though. And so are we are we back to to your point earlier? Are we back to well, gaming's doing well, people are traveling again life is good. We'll kick the can down the road because, you know, it's not my problem today. And I think that Startup Vegas and our partners have just keep saying like, that's not a viable option because we know it's going to happen. And you are going to have to answer to these questions down the road. I don't know if, if we'll ever really work as closely with gaming as we would like to, because they are, like you said, they're, they are their own beast. And we understand that a lot of startups don't have the capacity to implement whatever they're working on with such a giant, like one of the big gaming corps. But I hope that there's a way to bridge that gap somewhere. And I think it's going to take a lot, a lift from our end to actually build up our startup ecosystem even more. So we are a sustainable powerhouse that can prove that we're helping companies be created here. We're having jobs. It's sustainable. Those companies are being sold and bought and bringing more jobs and more opportunity here. And I think when we can actually prove and draw a line from the people that we've helped over the last 18 months to wherever they're going to end up in the next 18 months to three years, I think then we'll have a really strong examples to lean in on and say, look, 
we're not a big enter we're not helping big enterprise businesses, but we can lead to X, Y, and Z, which is helping our economic diversification, which brings jobs, which helps with workforce development, et cetera. Totally. And and I think, you know, it's, it, I, I'm sure you know, but it's so important to create an alternate vision of the future of what's possible, right? I mean, one of the great things, I mean, about Zappos was it did, you know, it probably minted a lot of, you know, millionaires and it created a lot of value. And it, so the more that you can have these, successes that are outside of that, the more that you can, you know, show that that's an alternative pathway. I mean, one of the harder things that I've noticed in in Reno, just in terms of bringing more startup founders or startup capital is most of the capital, most of the high net worth folks, their money was made outside of startups. Like it was made in, you know, the, the old fashioned way, traditional or, you know, real estate or whatever. And so like understanding that as an asset class, all of that was really an educational process. I do think, though, the pandemic helped because you've seen a massive flight of talent outside of California and other markets where, you know, they they have a better understanding of this. But it is like a, it's a, this is a culture, right? You know, a lot of, when you, when most of the people worked in the predominant industry, that's kind of the lens at which they see the world. And so showing them alternative versions of this is really powerful. And, you know, I think it, you know, Having outside success will do that. Having a lot of people from outside the community that say, hey, did you know in in other places, startups actually are the economy <laughs> or, you know, you can really create wealth if you're part of a startup and it exits. I mean, just all of that stuff starts to add to that cultural narrative that that really gives people a different perspective just because they've they've only seen this one way. I think there's a real opportunity there. And, I, you know, it sounds like there's some really interesting people on the ground there also that are that are bringing some of that expertise and you know, it sounds like you're already starting to harness some of that uh, that talent and those successes to help create an alternate vision for how for the future. We have been really lucky to be connected with folks who either chose Nevada as their second home because they're exiting from you know the Bay Area, or they came here years ago and they're just excited to see a community growing because they missed it from their old house, but they chose to live here. But I'm also finding that like even just a half step outside of the startup ecosystem, when we're trying to bring in community partners, it's a huge education campaign for us to tell people the difference between a small business and a startup. And I think that's been one of the major challenges that we've had just trying to have people understand what we're doing. Because if you don't know, you don't know, and you can't blame someone who doesn't have any type of reference to what we're talking about. So I see that as a major challenge also for Las Vegas is because traditionally we've invested in brick and mortar stores, sandwich shops, things that wanted to move in here, be part of a community. When we're talking about a SaaS platform, we're talking about you know things that you can't tangibly see. And that also brings a, a layer of difficulty in just understanding why it's important to invest in in this. And I don't think we require um, outside people coming into Nevada to help us tell that story. Um, but there is something, um, I don't know if it's just a culture of Nevada, but I feel like there is this, you know, almost, oh, so this person from outside of Nevada is coming here because they want to live here. And they're telling us that this is why, oh, let's listen to them where it's like, 
well, we're here, we're building We're we've been saying the same thing, but because we're from Nevada, I just, I just don't know if that's a, I don't know what it is, but we are trying to overcome it. And that's why we're happy to have all these new people come and help us tell the story because there is a story to tell here. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, at least up here, there was years and years of people coming in and like promising that there was going to be all this transformation and then it not happening and then, then leaving. And so that we would go through all these boom and bust cycles. And so, you know, I, in the early days of this, I got a lot of resistance from multi-generational Nevadans like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just the next fad. You guys will go away and we'll be back to our thing. And so, you know, it and from from people that were like intelligent and connected and like this had been their lived experience. This wasn't something that was just, you know, like uh, some bias. It was like a real lived experience they had. And, you know, I don't know how much of that's true down in the South, but it does seem like that was part of what was going on here. And this is why I'm so excited that you're doing this is, I mean, your ability to go to different communities, countries, cultures, understand what's going on, and then figure out how to message that is going to be really important. I mean, we had this conversation the other day with the Right to Start folks. How do we communicate the difference between an entrepreneur, a young business, and a startup to the legislature? This is complicated. Again, you know, given the nature of our legislature, not a lot of them are entrepreneurs, so it's kind of a foreign language to them. And so just being able to really figure out how to communicate that. So I'm just really excited that we can leverage your background to help do this because I, I have found that frustrating. You, you know, pol- politics has definitely not been my strong suit. And I think that's one of the things that's going to be needed here because if we're going to create lasting change, we need the political class of Nevada to recognize the importance of startups and entrepreneurs in you know, the evolution of our economy. Yeah. I mean, you referenced this earlier to with the startup community book, it does need to be entrepreneurial led, but that will only get you so far. And so I want to bring in the the politicians. I want to bring in the other community organizations that are doing and growing and you guys up in the North with EDON here in the South with LVGEA. I mean, you guys are economic development arms of our state and having you involved in this conversation, as well as like the grassroots movement with the politicians, that is the only way that I think Nevada will actually be able to not only just diversify our economy, but specifically in the startup ecosystem, like bringing people in and helping them and saying, hey, it is okay if you don't know, ask me, let's let's have a private meeting. Ask me your silly questions because like I said at the top of this podcast, right? Like I've only been doing this for 18 months. It is something that you can learn if you are passionate about it and if you have a good teacher. And I think there's enough people who are passionate and want to help. And so it's just opening up the dialogue and both sides being willing to work together. And I think I think the I think the atmosphere is right. I think there is a willingness. And so it's just getting us organized and 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 actually doing it together. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time that I've really been excited about the idea of like one Nevada. You know, for in the early days of this work, we would go down to Vegas and you know, and I and I was sort of I had this bias that and I, and I still think it's actually there's truth in this, which is ecosystems are inherently regional. And so it's like, hey, let's share mentors and all that. And that seemed, you know, like sounded like an okay idea, but mostly what I felt like was, yeah, you know, these things are are regional plays. But, you know, I, I my thinking on that has definitely been evolved. 
now, which is I think now that there's foundation in Vegas, there's an opportunity to move the entire state forward. And that has to come from Vegas. It's like all the things we've done in the North are great and that's great up here. But if we really want to make opportunities for all Nevadans, Vegas has got to really step ahead on this one and really take some leadership. And finally, it feels like there's real momentum and diversified leadership. I mean, you've got changes at at the governor's office. You've got changes at the you know, the regional development authorities, you've got Startup Vegas, you've got Startup V, you've got the city of Las Vegas. I mean, like none of that existed even five years ago or, you know, probably even three or four years ago. So like the fact that you have all of those things coming together means that there's a real opportunity. And, you know, to your point about entrepreneurs leading, I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm a recovering entrepreneur. I had five different companies. My general experience with the government is get out of the way. Or I don't have time for it. And so what I think you have is, you know, for necessity, entrepreneurs are largely disconnected from the political environment. And so what you have is an underrepresentation of, you know, the the needs of of entrepreneurs and startups in that community. So having people that are advocates like yourself that can speak for the entrepreneur, but also know how to navigate the political class is critically important, critically important. Yeah, I've seen from just conversations with founders down here is that they have such a, it's not disdain, but just a, a, they're very passive about working with government is because they don't feel like it's entrepreneurial enough. It doesn't move fast enough. And the constant meetings that they feel like they have to take isn't worth their time because they're building a company. They could be talking to investors and raising money. And so I feel like Yes, I am I am happy that I can kind of fill in the gap there, but I also would like to challenge government to maybe think a little bit about the entrepreneurial experience and yes, let's have meetings, let's have productive meetings that have, you know, KPIs to them and like we have real things that we want to accomplish and like I think that there is a way for both sides to support each other and it's just going to take the regional economic development and all the non and all the organizers that are happening here, you just listed them to kind of create an agenda and and push a one Nevada voice forward so they can be educated on what it is that startups actually need and you know given concrete asks and maybe some goals on how we can all work together and And I just am excited that there's an appetite for it from the startup community. But then also, like you said, the government is now for for the first time in a long time, like interested in being part of the conversation, which is so promising. Which is promising. You know, one of the things that, you know, Brad also said that I thought was really insightful was part of the reason why you need the entrepreneurs to lead on this is that, you know, their time horizons are so much longer than the political cycles, right? Like it does, I mean, okay, fine. You know, you raise a startup venture back company, maybe it sells in five to eight years, whatever. But I mean, if you're building a lot of businesses, these can be 10 to 20 year prospects. And most political cycles are two to four years, maybe six years in some cases. And so there's just an inherent mismatch. And, you know, the entrepreneurs are in some ways in it for the long haul. Although again, you know, getting them together can sometimes be like oil and water. So we, we need our, we need our translators. 
let me shift gears a little bit. Tell me about like the mission of Startup Vegas. Like what are the types of things? I know you run a level up. Tell me a little bit about like the programmatic things that you're doing on the ground. Yeah, we have six main programs that we designed early on and said, from a founder perspective, what is it that I need help with? And then we created programs. So our first three programs that we rolled out with was LinkUp, which is like a monthly meetup for local startups and entrepreneurs. We open our co-working space. We have like a lunch and learn. And we just let people either co-work there or network all day. We do it every month at the last Wednesday of every month. And we get a really great turnout because people want to leave their houses. They're tired of working by themselves. Also, sometimes when you're an entrepreneur, you feel like you're an island on your own. And so it's nice to work with other founders. Our second program that we started with was SyncUp. And this is a curated group mentorship day. So we'll pick a handful of startup founders. We'll put them in a room and we'll let them kind of group mentor each other. So, you know, we I'm, I'm sure everybody has had problems at work that you couldn't necessarily talk to your staff about or, you know, you just needed a unbiased coworker to help you out. And that's kind of what this is. You know, it's a non-judgmental space with the diversity of thinking in a group setting and lets people kind of deep dive into problems, roadblocks, and give each other shared experiences to help a founder kind of move forward. And we have got so much amazing feedback from that because people come out of it and be like, I have been stuck on this for weeks. I didn't even think about X, Y, and Z. I'm so grateful. You know, then they come back two months later and then it's like, so only Z worked, but yeah, I would have never got there unless it was for this. And so it feels really good to see that because you can see that they're growing in their journey and we just want to provide opportunities for people to help each other. Yeah, that's such a powerful program. I was a member of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, for like 13 years. And that's like the foundational principle is like being in a room of peers to basically problem solve and share experiences of the top five and bottom percent of your life and your business. And, you know, like I know that there's kind of the myth of the solo entrepreneur and that kind of like reigns through the American, you know, psyche. But I really think entrepreneurship is best played as a team sport, right? And having other entrepreneurs alongside you makes all the difference because, you know, it, it wasn't until I joined EO that I found people that like where I found my voice, right? Like if you have you know, if you're talking to your friends and they're working and you're, you don't know how to make payroll in two weeks, it, it, there's just a, there's a dissonance there. And so sometimes just being in a room with people that are having the same problems can go such a long way. So I, I'm really happy to hear that you have a program that's really just focused on experience sharing, peerness, like problem solving. That's such a critical component to uh, the entrepreneurial experience, in my opinion. Thank you. It, it, I've gotten a lot out of listening to these founders kind of talk about their problems because they're probably facing things that I haven't experienced quite yet. But now I'm almost using it as like a cautionary tale to as I navigate through my own building and growing of company. I hope other people get that same kind of feeling, especially in a non-judgmental atmosphere, which is like so hard to find these days. So, well, then our, you know, I hate to say it, but people can kind of be rude to each other. So then like our big signature event, we call it Level Up, and it is a Shark Tank style event. 
And so what we do is we hand select four companies and we allow the founders to give a short pitch about their company to the community with immediate feedback, support, and mentorship from a panel of successful investors, exited founders, and other ecosystem leaders. So how what it looks like is we have this amazing stage. They're presenting their company for five to seven minutes. Then they take questions from the panel for five to seven minutes. And then unlike the traditional like Shark Tank style, we actually engage the audience by giving the audience opportunities to ask questions of this founder. Now, as a founder, your experience is, well, I get to pitch my company that's not in front of my bathroom mirror or my friends and family that tell me I'm a special snowflake every time I, I talk to them. You know, they're getting real feedback from, you know, this panel and as if it was you're you're talking to investors, right? So they can be aware of the types of questions they should be fielding. But also you get a you get a chance to you know, present in front of users and potential customers and you get their immediate feedback. So this is a, this is a truly a a special night where people get to learn, connect, support, share, mentor, network, and inspire one another. We don't spend, here's, here's the magic of level up is that ever since our very first one and level up turns one next month. No, congratulations. Thank you. So we've helped 24 companies get on stage and pitch. And the beauty of it is we started by posting it on Meetup. And we had 50 people RSVP. And we were like, oh my God, 50 people. This is going to be amazing. They don't even know what this is. This is so great. And you know, I, I've, I know about event attrition. So I was like, okay, guys, 50 people RSVP. We'll get 35 in the room. It's going to be amazing. And I set the I set the room up to be so it maximizes for 35 people. Doug, we had over we had 72 people show up that night. Wow. We had more people show up than RSVP'd and that has been true every single time we've held the level up. We average somewhere in the ballpark of 150 to 200 people that show up. And we still only ever post it on LinkedIn and Meetup. We don't spend any marketing dollars to actually advertise it. And to me, that shows that there is such a hunger for this type of connectivity and showcasing of startups. I mean, we've got dozens of startup founders that have requested to be on stage and you know we want to highlight the best ones and and to to um somebody who's on our board his name is Dan Dan Steele he actually helps each of these entrepreneurs so he interviews them he gives them some feedback for their pitch decks and we want to be a resource as well and so i'm very grateful for Dan for taking that time to actually communicate and and help these founders because it gets them stage ready because we want to put on a good show but we also want to elevate good startups. And we want everyone in the room to feel and to walk away with a good feeling and want to come back. And I think we've been successful. You know, we've done six of these and it's been great. I love your enthusiasm. I love seeing the pictures. And I think you're, you know, you've tapped into a secret sauce and, you know, just that idea of being open and inclusive, but also highly curated is a really powerful balance, right? Because you want to, you know, we, we've run 1MC for a lot of years and all these programs have their own life to them. And so just making sure that you, you know, keep the quality high, but then also keeping it open and inclusive is is sometimes a bit of a delicate balance. But I just love that uh, you're seeing so much. And I, and I drew the same conclusion, which is 
if that's what you're seeing with you know grassroots just imagine if you know like you're tapping into a nerve like you've you've tapped into some energy that that is emerging there and you know you're channeling it for good which is which is really exciting yeah it's great i love i love hearing those programs and how can people everybody can find you at what startup.vegas yeah on startup.vegas website uh, backslash events two things i'm really proud of is that we decided we were only two yeah we were two level ups in and we were seeing this momentum and growth and we decided to participate in the CES excitement and we held a level up during CES earlier this year we had over 500 people show up and it got on some CES blog and like two days prior, I had someone be like, oh yeah, I'm going to stop by that level up. Have you heard of it? And he didn't know who I was. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, did you say level up? He's like, yeah, I think it's like a Shark Tank thing. And I was like, oh, oh my God, that's my event. He's like, stop it. It was like, it was a really cool moment to hear it. So we are participating in CES again. We're going to do it on that Saturday. So that's exciting. I think it's the 7th. But from our CES, the Mobile World Congress folks. So it's this big conference that happens in Barcelona every year. They're looking at the United States and trying to find a new permanent home for their domestic program. And they've decided on Las Vegas. Well, they got wind of our level up during CES and they have invited us to actually run four level ups during their big Mobile World Congress Vegas next month. And so we part we're partnered with them and we're going to run their stage for 2 days. We're going to do four level ups, a couple fireside chats and have some keynote and closing speakers just talking about the entrepreneur journey and we're just really proud of it. And so I'll I'll give you a code and anybody who listens can we'll we'll invite them to be our guests to to come in for free. Awesome. Yeah, I will I will definitely come down for that and I'll make sure and put it in the show notes for everybody so they get the code. And you know, what to me, you know, what that says is that's kind of the world putting wind at your sails. Like you're in the right place, Heather, you're doing the right thing. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, uh, credibility and that uh, just, you know, that just helps boost boost what you're doing and and shows that you're you're in, you're doing the right thing. So I'm just really excited for all that. I mean, I just got chills thinking about all the things that you guys were doing. How do you have time to run for office with all this other stuff? <laughs> so, you know, as if that's not enough, if, 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 you, if not taking on transforming the culture of entrepreneurship in Las Vegas, remaking the economy, diversifying, wasn't enough, you also are going to try and transform the Nevada higher education system. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Just. I, I am. I'm running uh, to be on the Board of Regents in District 6 down here in Clark County. You know, I had mentioned earlier that I was very active in student government. And during my time there, you know, we would lobby the Board of Regents. We would advocate for student issues. And I always felt like they listened to us. Now, did they do what we wanted? No, but that's not their job to do that, right? Their job is to do what's best for the system and however they saw fit. Um, but I always felt like our voices were heard, you know, over, over the last couple of years, especially maybe the last, you know, year, there's been a lot of really negative press 
about Nevada's system for higher education. And it's not because of the students, it's not because of the staff, and it's not because of the faculty. It's actually because of the regents and the lack of leadership. I'll just call it that. It didn't settle well with me because I love Nevada. I love Nevada so much that you know, I wanted to come back and build an ecosystem and help it diversify and be just 100% invested in this community. And when I looked at what 100% meant to me, it meant that, you know, I owe a lot to my time at UNLV. It, it didn't teach me how to think. It taught me how to, how to find the right things to think about, if that makes sense. It really honed in my my abilities to make decisions, whether it was business, whether it was personal. And I learned that as an as a new adult going to university and sitting in these amazing classes. I'm still friends with some of my professors and they've been amazing mentors for me. And I decided that I wanted to throw my uh, name in the ring and and run for the Board of Regents because I believe that it needs stability, decorum, and more ethics on the board. It needs people who are willing to do their homework and be fully invested in whatever is on the table, whether it's budgetary, whether it's curriculum, whether it's programmatic, whether it's finding the new chancellor. All of those things will be part of the Regents job if I get elected. And I've already looked over 10 years worth of budgets. I've already, you know, come to, you know, I've interviewed former regents, current regents, past presidents of university and and colleges and, and higher ed institutions, current ones. I've already done a lot of legwork just to feel comfortable in order to run. And so I feel confident that if elected, I will put the same energy and harness the same enthusiasm to make sure that we're actually doing what we say we're doing, which is putting faculty and students and staff first and educating students to become the next workforce and goes back to the whole economic diversification and development. Like if we're not graduating students for jobs of the future, then we're actually graduating them in a 2008 global crisis all over again, financial crisis all over again. Wow. You, you know what? I, I just, I really admire you, Heather. Honestly, I mean, you wear your passions on your sleeve and it's just really awesome that you are taking this on. I mean, I can tell that you're, de- you know, a deeply motivated and value centered person. And I, I just, it's, it's a real honor to hear what you're passionate about. And I, and I know you're making positive changes for Vegas we start at Vegas and you know with with any luck and a lot of hard work I'm sure on your part you'll do the same for the regions and you know clearly these things are intertwined I, I'm, I'm completely with you I was shocked you know working with the universities that some of the challenges that I faced as an engineering student long ago 20 plus years ago are still some of the same challenges that are faced. The universities are ripe for change, and and obviously they are engines of talent that need to be worked with in partnership to meet the changing needs of the economy. And I think you're a great person to do that. I I, I love the fact that you have this entrepreneurial spirit, and you're going to take that passion and drive that through with your political savvy. And and the regents first. Who knows what's next <laughs> after that? I want. <laughs> Don't put that out there. Don't put that out there. (laughs) I got, if I get elected, that'll be six years for me. And I I do believe that it takes a full six years to implement anything and implement it and hopefully start to see 
like reap some benefits from your implementation. So I am fully committed to a a six-year term. Hopefully I do a good job and maybe I'll want to go for another six years and then we can see some real change at the ENCHI level. Because I think that is another area where we are thirsty for change. And I think a lot of it, we touched on it in our conversation here, but a lot of it has to do with the culture of Vegas, right? Historically, we have not prioritized education. I have a lot of cousins. We are, I was going to say breeders, but I mean, yes, my family are breeders. And I am the first person to actually go and to a four-year institution and graduate. When I look back on that, like one, I'm very grateful that even though my parents didn't go to a four-year institution, you know, they pushed me to go to college and they pushed me to get good grades and they wanted me to have a, a better life. I use air quotes in that way because I felt I had a really good life growing up, but I understood what they wanted. And, and most of my family went and worked on the strip. My mom did it. She, w- she worked front desk at Caesars Palace. You know, I have cousins that worked at MGM, Excalibur. Bellagio, you name it, every every casino on Las Vegas Boulevard, I have family that has worked there or still works there. And it, that's just what you did. And so we can't beat ourselves up too much about, I hear a lot, well, we're, you know, almost last in the nation with education. I think that, you know, those statistics, they take into account graduation and post-secondary education. And I think that's, not been a priority for Nevada, but especially Southern Nevada since our inception. So we can't beat ourselves up too much, but I do feel like there is this momentum where we want to highlight the amazing things that are happening at our higher ed institutions. I mean, both UNR and UNLV are Carnegie rated. You know, we have top-notch research institutions. We have a new medical school here in the South. I mean, so many amazing things are happening. And I am just optimistic to be able to kind of change the narrative when it comes to education and startups, because we're just at a real, I think we're at a precipice of obviously hospitality and tourism isn't going away, but I think that there is an understanding that investing in education means something different than it did as talking points 20, 30, 40 years ago. I think we have a lot of promise moving forward in both the startup and education space. And I hope I can be an active participant and role in both of those things. Yeah. Well, I think your long-term perspective will suit you well. I mean, my, you know, my one share is this work takes a while. You know, I, as a startup guy, I wanted things to happen quickly, but it's, you know, I think real change takes time, but also I think things are ripe. And your fortitude and your attitude like will help drive you through that. And I just, for one, look forward to continuing to work closely with you, building on our friendship and partnership to help make Nevada the best place for entrepreneurs and, you know, and making it a better place for students or the best place for students. I don't know. We, we got to come up with a catchphrase for both of them. But, you know, I'm just really excited to be able to work with you and really appreciate you taking some time to, to share your your thoughts, your ideas, your enthusiasm on the show. It's a real uh, it's a real pleasure to, to spend this time with you. No, this was wonderful. I, I always enjoy chatting with you. And I'm just really excited that you're taking time out of your busy life and schedule to to actually highlight some of the awesome things happening. I've been listening to your podcast all week, catching up and and you've just highlighted so many amazing people. And so I'm just honored to be included in that list. So thank you. 
Well, you're definitely one of them. And we'll get some more amazing Vegas folks on the podcast on the next time. So until I see you next time. Thank you.